Good morning, Redemption. Today's scripture comes from 1 John uh, chapter 5, verses 6 through 21. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a blue Bible underneath your seat. You can feel free to grab that. 1 John, he says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask God, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, uh, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who, has been, who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come, and he has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you so much for reading that scripture for us. Uh, Good morning, Redemption North Mountain. Hope you guys are doing well today. Um, If this is your first time here, I just want to say welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. My name is Xavier. I'm one of the pastors here. I would love to be able to introduce myself to you and to say hi to you. Uh, we have a really long passage to kind of cover today. So let me just say a couple things before we hop into that. The first thing is yesterday, all the ladies got together and did some brunch type stuff. So there was a woman brunch yesterday. I hope you guys had fun. Um, and it was special just to see. I, I kind of crashed the brunch for a second with my baby boy. And uh, it was a great time. So uh, I just want to say, if you're a woman here, I am so glad that you're part of our church. And we have some ministries uh, that are meant to help you get connected and get in relationship with other women that are here at the church. If you want to know more information, you could go to our Connect Desk and find out about that. Now, uh, where are the men in the room? That's what I want to know. Men? Oh, let's go. So, men, we have some stuff for you, too. Specifically, we have our men's retreat coming up in just, so it's not this week, but the week after, September 8th through the 10th 
and I would love to see you there. It's going to be a good time, us just getting in relationship with each other and being men together, whatever that means. And uh, I just want to make this suggestion to you. Please sign up as soon as you can. Sign up close on the 31st of August, which is this week. So please sign up this week as soon as you can so you can join us on this. If you have uh, questions about that, come ask me or you can go to the info desk for more information. All right, those are the two things I wanted to share. Uh, we are about to go into the rest of 1 John. We're going to finish this book together right now. And we've been going through this for like the whole summer. So if you have any of these messages that really encouraged you, or maybe you missed one of the messages, I just want to let you know, we actually have those recorded that you can watch on YouTube or on Spotify or on podcast. But for now, we're about to hop in and close this book together. So let's just pray over this time and then let's just hop right in. So God, I just pray, would you, would you continue to speak through your word to us? Thank you for this whole series, uh, you using the words of John that he wrote to the church to encourage us today to reveal more about who you are, Jesus. I just pray that today that you would continue to reveal yourself to us through your word. Please just bless this time. Wherever we're at, would you just speak to that uniquely for each of us? Would you give us encouragement through your word? We love you so much. Amen. So when I first became a pastor, I was about 21 years old. Uh, I did not know anything about pastoring, so I wanted to learn from anyone that I could. I made a long list of different pastors, whether they're local or uh, just people that I heard about, that I could try to figure out how to meet them or get on the phone with them just to get some encouragement or some wisdom from them. So I had this whole list. I was going down trying to figure out ways to actually connect with them. I remember there was two pastors that were kind of well-known, uh, significant pastors that allowed me to get on the phone with them. And I'll never forget both of the conversations, but for different reasons. Uh, the first one was a pastor that I read his books. I, I watched his sermons. This was someone I could not wait to get on the phone with. And I remember I was getting so excited. I wrote down all these different questions for him. I was getting giddy about the meeting. I put an hour down for this meeting of us on the phone. And now I'm in my office. I close the door. It's like 10 minutes before. I'm like praying, God, would you give me wisdom through this man? And then I'm sitting there waiting and my phone starts ringing. I'm so excited. I answer the phone. You can probably tell my excitement over the phone. I'm like, hi, it's Xavier. Remember, I'm like 21 years old. I'm just excited to meet this guy. And on the phone, I could tell something was weird. The first thing was I can hear the sound of the gym. And we all know the sound of the gym. It's like weights, like basketballs. And the first thing he says is, hey, I got 10 minutes. So whatever you guys say, just make it fast. I was like, my whole world was like, just fell. I'm like, oh my gosh. I got all nervous. I'm like, I don't know what to say to him. Uh, what is it like being a pastor? And then just, it got awkward. 10 minutes of just awkward conversation. I could tell he doesn't want to talk to me too much. And you could just feel the tension in the phone. I hang up, 21-year-old ex is like so sad. And I got some wisdom from it, but I'll never forget that conversation. On the other side, there's this other pastor, well-known. I read his books. I listened to his messages. But this conversation was different. The first thing was he gave me his cell phone number and said, hey, call me at this time. I remember getting ready. I'm, I'm nervous that it's going to be the same way, 10 minutes of just awkwardness. 
And we get on the phone and something way different happened. He slowed down and he just first asked me about who I was. He asked about my family. He asked about my ministry. He asked about who I was. But not only that, but he allowed me to ask all of my millions of questions and then just allowed me to know who he was. Like he told me about his family, his failures, his successes. He allowed me to talk to him for an hour and a half where he just encouraged me. We laughed together. We got serious together. This long conversation with him really changed the way that I viewed ministry. For me, uh, at that time, there was all these pastors I talked to, and I learned a lot from all of them, whether it was like one-liners or good sayings or just their experience. But this one conversation on the phone, that hour and a half, really impacted me because this man pulled back the curtain and allowed me to know him. Not just know good sayings that he had, not just know his experience, but to know actually who he was. In the same way, the goal of the Bible, the goal of 1 John, the goal of Jesus is not just to give you and me more information or to fill us with good sayings, but it's for God to pull back the curtain and for us to know him. God is not rushing. He's not in a hurry. He is patiently revealing himself through the person of Jesus and the written words so that you and me can know the truth of who Jesus is. John's closing this letter and he's emphasizing this one thing for all of us. Knowing Jesus leads to new life. God opens the door for us to know Jesus and John knows that knowing Jesus leads to new life. The goal of all of this, as we read the word, as we read 1 John, as we read the Bible, is for us to know Jesus. So for us, we're going to hop into this passage and see how it is that he closes out this book. Uh, let me give you some perspective on how John is writing. Remember, John's this older man giving good wisdom to the church, a loving old father of the church. So this passage is kind of like going over to grandpa's house. You're about to walk out the door. Before you open the door, grandpa shakes your hand and starts that one last conversation. You're like, I'm about to. And then now we're talking one last time. This is what John's doing. He's stopping you at the door. He wants to say one more thing to you and start that last conversation with all of us. He's recapping. He's emphasizing. He's pointing to the heart of everything that he's been saying. And he ends with these last two verses. Let's read it together. Verses 20 and 21. This is what it says. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Uh, we're going to just go through those two verses and we're going to break them down and look back to the rest of the passage to see how it relates to just those two verses. So let's start with the beginning of verse 20. It says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Uh, so what John writes here in the beginning of this passage is an intellectual or cognitive knowledge. We know intellectually that Jesus has come and he has given us understanding specifically of who God is. 
And the reason that he emphasizes this is because he knows that knowledge of something leads to belief. And belief leads to action. Even in the smallest things in our lives, deep belief leads to action. We all have different actions in our life that points back to what we believe is the best way or the right way of doing something. So here's just a funny example, but one of the other pastors showed me this. It's like all these different pictures that describe there are two types of people in this world. So let's just look at some, Anna and I were looking at these last night. Let's look, look at some of these pictures. The first one is this. There are two types of people in this world. You know which one you are. For me, I'm the one on the left. If I said the right, my wife would call me out because you know I'm lying. I'm that guy for sure. Uh, let's look at the next picture. There are two types of people in this world. We're looking at these pictures last night. My wife says, if you ever cut me a sandwich like the left one, I physically can't eat it. Like that's just, I'm like, wait, what? That's the right way to do it. But all right, what's the next picture? Uh, we all know this is true. And for everyone here that has the email situation, you know it's way more than 500. Like, it's like 10,000. You're like, what? What if there's something important there? Oh, man. All right, 2,000 people in this world. What's the next one? I, I'm just going to be honest here. Um, just as your pastor, if you bite chocolate like the right side, I would just love to have a conversation with you afterwards so we could do some healing prayer in your life. Um, all right, what's the next one? Uh, this one's kind of silly, but it's like, do you do the price or do you fill up your tank to a certain amount? I'm always filling up like $10. It's a problem. All right. And the last one is this. How do you eat your corn? Once again, last time I'm showing this to my wife, she's like, who in the world eats their corn like the left side? I go, I do. She's like, we're gonna have to have a longer conversation about this. You know, it's just, it's just funny to see all these things because all of us were laughing because we're on one of those sides. Like some of us cut our sandwiches straight down. Some of us do the diagonal. Some of us eat our corn one way or the other way. And none of us here have some two-page document written up on our computer of the right way to eat corn. But the way we eat corn shows us what we believe is the right way we eat corn. Like in the same way for all of us, most of us here don't have a theological paper written up about the specifics we believe about Jesus. But our actions in our life display what we believe about him. Whatever it is that we believe about Jesus will be displayed in the way that we live out our day to day. The way that we relate to the people around us, the way that we pray, the way that we treat our work, Every single aspect of our life points back to what we believe. It doesn't have to be written. It doesn't even have to be well thought out. Whatever we believe is true about Jesus is displayed in our actions. So for all of us, it is essential that we actually know truth so that it leads to right belief and leads to a life that leads us towards the real Jesus. One way of saying all of this is the conviction of author J.T. English. We are all theologians. A theology simply means words about God. And all of us, Christian or not, we have words and ideas about God, 
about creation, about purpose, about salvation, about Jesus. And all of those beliefs impact our day-to-day lives. If what we believe about God impacts all of our lives, it's essential for us to believe truth about God and specifically truth about Jesus. In order for our lives to head in the direction of God, we must know Jesus in truth. And here's the encouragement from John to all of us. You can know truth about God. You can understand truth about God and you can be certain about this truth. Why? Because God has pulled back the curtain and given a testimony of himself so that we can know him. This is what verse seven through nine says for us. For there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that it has been born concerning his son. God has given a testimony himself to us so that we can know truth about God and believe in truth and then live in truth. We all want to live our lives according to truth. And our beliefs ultimately impact our actions and our way of life. So we must believe in truth. And the good news is that we can know truth because God has testified of the truth through the water and the blood and the spirit. Now, let me just be honest. This passage is one of the more confusing passages in this book in general. Like even when you read theologians that are writing about this, they all get stuck on the water situation. So we're just gonna kind of break this down and see what it is that this is pointing to and what is God revealing to us. So first, uh, the water. The water points back specifically to the baptism of Jesus. Most people actually agree that that is what it's pointing back to. And the reason why is because the baptism of Jesus reveals the identity of Jesus. When he's baptized, the Holy Spirit is present and the Father speaks and says, this is my son. And then his baptism initiates his ministry where he has miracles and teaching about the truth of who he is. So pointing back to the water is pointing back to the identity of Jesus. Fully God, fully man, Messiah, the savior that the Jewish people were waiting for is Jesus. And then he says, the blood. The blood is pointing to his death on the cross and ultimately his resurrection. His death is displaying his substitution for you and me, his blood and his death for our sin. And his real death points to his real resurrection, where he defeats death for all of those who believe in him. So the water points to his identity, the blood points to his action of substitutionary atonement for us, and the spirit points to the one that illuminates the truth to believers. In Acts, the Holy Spirit comes and fills the believers so that they can preach truth and display truth through their lives, the marking that they are actually believers. And these three all agree, testimony of God. Now, the reason that these are significant is because of this. First of all, they all point to the true identity of Jesus, which was the big argument in this book. People were believing false ideas of Jesus, but these three all point to the truth. They all point that Jesus is God, that he is 
also man, that he is savior, that he is Messiah. But not only that, but these three all point to the written word because this is where the testimony of God is found. Where we can actually find the testimony of God is the written word where we find truth. And then the last thing that they point to is us, the church. Like, just think about these three things. These are the three things that are continuously displayed to the people of God. The water being believer's baptism. When we see people baptized, we're pointing back to this truth. Communion that we take each week points back to the cross. And then the spirit living in us as we love people displays the presence of God still with us. So what does that all mean? That means this. We can know truth and we can know God through Jesus, through the written word, and through the present church which is the testimony of God for us. And all of these things agree on this one thing. Verse 11 and 12. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. All of God's testimony is pointing to this truth. Eternal life is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. We must know the truth of Jesus. We must not think that all ways go to heaven. We must not think that subjective truth is enough. We must confess that there is objective truth and there is only one way. And we must seek after that truth found in Jesus, leaving us to seek after God's testimony in these words, revealing the truth of Jesus. And as we seek after these truths, as we let these things sink into our hearts, our minds, and our souls, the word says that it will actually lead us to this thing called eternal life. So let's just read the rest of verse 20. This is what it says. It says, so the beginning says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is a true God and eternal life. So John uses the same word here. He uses the word know, but he uses a different version of it. The first one is this intellectual knowledge and this one is to know intimately or personally or experientially. Knowing who Jesus is in truth and knowing him personally are intermingled. You cannot have one without the other. And when you have this in you, it leads to eternal life. Also know, or as I would say, new life. Uh, eternal life is used three times just in this passage. And we usually think eternal life as in forever life. But that wasn't the emphasis for the believers at the time. The emphasis was that we were born again into a new, fulfilled, and satisfied life. And this life didn't start when we go to heaven, but starts now. And let me just explain what this life, I think, looks like. So here's a picture of Dwayne Wade. If you're a basketball fan, uh, you know this picture. It's like D. Wade's most famous pick. So this is what's happening uh, in this picture. I, I love this so much. So 
Uh, they're playing against the Bucks. The Bucks shoot the ball and it goes up in the air and everyone's trying to get a rebound. It's up in the air, it's up in the air. And when it goes up, Dwayne Wade takes off and he grabs the ball and he just starts running to the other side of the court as fast as he can. And when he's going, there's three defenders following him and also LeBron James. So as he's going, he could go up for a layup or maybe a dunk. He could try something. But instead, he passes it back to LeBron. And when LeBron catches it, this is the best moment in the replay. He turns around and goes like this to the crowd before anything happens. He's just like, we all know what's going to happen next. And he just, and then LeBron's just behind him, just going up for the dunk. Like when this happened, it was like the number one replay that week. Dwayne Wade said he only wants one thing from his friend LeBron when he retires. He wanted a signed picture of this to frame in his house. Like this is the moment. And what's so funny about this to me is that this is one of Dwayne Wade's most famous pictures. He's an amazing basketball player, just made the Hall of Fame. And it's not a picture of him shooting the ball. It's not a picture of him stealing it. It's not a picture of him getting, it's a picture of him celebrating the person behind him that's about to dunk it on the team. I think that this is a picture of new life for us. And let me explain. New life takes all the confidence that we try to carry on ourselves to be good enough, to be strong enough, to know enough, to create our own version of salvation, to be our own God, to have the good life, all the weight we have on ourselves, what the new eternal life does is takes all of that and puts it in the hands of Jesus. All of our confidence is now set on something new, outside of ourselves, outside of our own work, and on the goodness and person of Jesus. New life is characterized by this confidence in the one that can actually fulfill his promise. Like that's new life, us just right in front of Jesus going, we know what Jesus is going to do. Like, it's just all of our confidence is now on him. Like, let's just look at the passage. Verses 13 through 15 says this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in what we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked him. Verses 18 through 19, we know that everyone who has been born of God doesn't keep on sinning, but he who was born of God, Jesus, protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Verse 19, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. All of these passages point to this new eternal life defined by this, my life is secure in the hands of Christ. Like our salvation, salvation and eternal life is not in our own works, but earned by Jesus on our behalf. All of our confidence is in him. In prayer, the power in our lives is in the fact that we have access to the ear of the eternal God because of Jesus. When we go to God in prayer, he responds. Anything we ask, he responds. And when he says no, it's because of his love. And that is because of Jesus. Our confidence is no longer in our will coming to pass, but the will of God coming to pass. And not only that, but the way that we even handle sin. We don't need to sin anymore because of Jesus, and we don't need to run away from sin in our own power, but by the power of the one who protects us, Jesus. 
Not only that, but we are no longer slaves of the world. We no longer have to listen to the lie of the world, which is to build our own kingdom, but we can contribute to the kingdom of God through Christ. Our confidence is in the power of Jesus. And the more that we know him in knowledge and in experience, the more we grow in confidence in him. We have to let these things sink in, which takes time, which takes intentionality. But when these truths sink in, it changes the way that we see God, the way that we see ourselves, the way that we see others, and we grow in confidence because of the work and the person of Jesus carrying us. This is new life. All of our confidence in the one that can actually carry it. Now, if you notice, there was two verses that I skipped in there because they're the more confusing part of this passage. But let's just look at them and see how it relates to what we just said. Verses 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death or there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Uh, so what does John mean when he says this? And then what does this mean for, for us? So John gives us some direction. This is what he, the big picture. Pray for those who sin so that they receive life. Uh, this shows us that specifically he's speaking about people that do not have life yet. So what does that mean? That means that they don't know Jesus. Because when he speaks of believers, he says that they've already received life and that life cannot be taken from them. So when he says that they're sinning, they will receive life. He's specifically speaking about people that do not know Jesus and do not have eternal life. When he talks about those who sin and it leads to death, he speaks the same way Jesus did about the Pharisees. Those who see truth, they've had truth displayed to them. And as 1 John has already said, they are empowered by the spirit of the Antichrist, teaching opposition of Jesus intentionally to lead people astray. He suggests not to pray for them, not out of spite or hate, but because it seems that the response won't be what we desire. What are we to do with that? This is my encouragement for all of us. If you're here and you believe in Jesus, you have been given the testimony of God. You've been given grace and new life. You've been given the spirit of God as confirmation. You have been given access to the living God. You have been given a new eternal life and a new confidence as a gift from God. And we are not to keep this to ourselves, but we are to share it with others. And how do we do this? He doesn't say have a crisp theological argument. He doesn't say try to prove your ideas about God. He doesn't say to demean others of their ideas of God, which are all things I've done. And every single time I'm sitting across them, like I remember one time I'm talking to a guy and I'm just hitting every point, every Bible verse, every theological topic. And then afterwards, he did not look at me and say, wow, your theological argument was so crisp. I am now going to give my life to Jesus. Like that, matter of fact, I think I pushed them more away. So what does John say? He says, pray for these people. We must go to God to reveal himself to them the way he's revealed himself to us. 
A good picture of this is St. Augustine. This is an early church father, someone that we go to for theology and wisdom. And this is a big part of his story. His mother would talk to him about Jesus over and over and over, and he would run away to more and more sin. And she said, the more I talked to him about Jesus, the more I would push him away. So she said, I stopped talking to my son about Jesus and started talking to Jesus about my son. She would go to the church every day and pray on his behalf, crying and weeping, God, would you save him? And one day he had an encounter with God through his word and gave his life to Jesus and now is the person we go to for theology. Matter of fact, he even says this, he gives credit to his mother by saying, I am a product of the tears of my mother. So let me just be clear for all of us. If we have new life, we have to share it. We need to share the gospel. We need to share truth. We need to know good theology. But just like in our own lives, our confidence for the salvation of others has to be in Jesus, not ourselves. We have to grow and learn how to talk to Jesus about the people in our lives that we want to know him. John wants us to know Jesus in our mind. He wants us to know him experientially. He wants to lead us to confidence in Jesus in this new life. And for our lives and for others, he wants our confidence to be in Christ. And then John ends the whole book with this one last comment. If the whole section is John shaking your hand right outside the door before you leave, this last comment's like you walking out of the door. He puts his hand on your shoulder. It's like the drive safe or like text me when you get home. That's what this last comment is. You're walking out the door. He puts his hand on your shoulder and he says, little children, keep yourself from idols. It feels kind of like a weird way to end this book. <laughs> like it feels random to say that right after all of this. Keep yourself from idols but it's really intentional. Uh, let me just say how I think this is why, or the reason he's ending it this way. Uh, when he talks about idols, he's specifically talking about false ideas of Jesus. And I think that his last reminder to the church is to hold on to the truth of Jesus and to not be distracted by the seduction of idols. Uh, think of it this way. One thing that actually gets me angry is when I can tell somebody's on their phone when they're driving. Like, you know when you're at a green light, there's one car in front of you, or it's like a red light, it turns green, and they're not going. You're like, they're for sure on their phone. It's like one second, two second, three second, four, and then they start going. Those are the moments where just by the power and grace of God, I allow them to know that the light is green through the laying of my horn, just at the kindness of my own soul. But it really gets me frustrated. <laughs> That, that, or when someone's like swerving a little bit and I go to pass them and I look it on, I'm like, if they're on their phone right now and you see them playing Candy Crush or something, just like, what is happening right now? Candy Crush has been like gone for a while. So it just gets me really, and the reason is because it can just go south really fast. My brother one day was driving on the freeway. There's so much traffic. He's fully stopped. He looks in the rearview mirror and there's a car 50 miles per hour just coming towards him. It's not stopping. He braces himself and boom, gets hit. By the grace of God and by the power of Toyota Tacomas, he was fine. Like the, his truck, nothing really happened to it, but the car, lady's car was totaled. 
They asked her after what happened, she was on her phone. Like it could get serious really fast. But it makes sense to me. Like just think of it this way, <laughs> all of us get pretty bad when other people are on their phone. How many times are you checking Spotify? Oh, quick text. Uh, the more you're on your phone while driving and nothing happens, no accident, no mistake, the more confidence you get in yourself. Even if you know it's not what you're supposed to do. Like we start believing, I think I'm the exception to the rule. <laughs> like no one else should be on their phone. Hey, get off your phone while you're driving. But if I'm driving, it's fine. I'll do a quick check. Others need to be off, but I can do it. Until we hit someone and realize, oh, I shouldn't have been doing that. Here's John's encouragement. Most idols and most false ideas of Jesus will try to convince us that our confidence should be in ourself, not in Christ. And the more they convince us to take our eyes off of Jesus, the more they put our eyes on ourselves, the more confident we get in ourselves. We know we should be dependent on Jesus, but we grow confident apart from him and begin to think, I might be the exception to the rule. Like these people around me really need to start praying. But I'm, I'm fine doing my own thing. This sin isn't that bad. It's okay. I'm the exception to this too. Ah, oh, this idea isn't that bad. It's okay. I'm the exception to that. Until we hit something and realize, oh man, I should have been dependent on him the whole time. The last encouragement from John is this. Never lose sight of your need of Christ. Never lose sight of your need of Christ. We are strong when we are weak because we are dependent on him. Our new life is defined on our dependence on the real Jesus that revealed himself in the flesh and continues to reveal himself through the word and the church. Lean on him, depend on him. All of our life is found in him. Let me just close with this for all of us. If you're in this room and you believe in Jesus, as we close out this book, here's the encouragement for you. Hold on to what has been revealed. Remember that God has revealed himself to you. Never lose sight of God's testimony through his word and the way that he has actually pulled back the current and revealed himself to you. Continue to grow in dependence on him and guard yourself from the temptation to do otherwise. And sincerely, like I seriously ask you guys this, sincerely, would you begin to pray for the people in your life that you want to know Jesus? Make a list, make it intentional, but don't just think about these things. Go to God in prayer and say, God, would you please save them? And for everyone here, you're still trying to figure out what it is that you believe about Jesus. You're still trying to discern what you believe and you're searching for truth and searching for God. John wants you to know you can know God. You can know Jesus and you can have new life through him. All it takes is that first confession that Jesus is who he says he is, the true everlasting God and that life is found only in him. Let me pray for us. So God, I just pray for all of us God, I just pray for all of us in here that have our faith found in you. I am praying, would you please help build our confidence more in you? Help us become more dependent on you. Would you remind us of the knowledge that we have of you through your word? 
would you remind us of the knowledge, the intimate knowledge that we have because of the work that you've done? And God, would you continue to bring us more and more into this new life of confidence in you? God, for everyone in here that is still trying to figure out what they believe about you, I'm praying, would you reveal yourself to them? Would you show them in a tangible way that you are real, that you are pursuing them, God? And God, would you please lead this time as we respond to you in worship? Would you continue to use this church and the relationships here to reveal more of yourself to us? We love you, God. Amen.